Good to see everyone this morning here as we gather for church and uh, be together as the church. Awesome. Just want to thank Kathy for your word today. Um, I think that ministered to, to many hearts today, um, certainly as we worshipped. And I'm always tempted to just jump on that and go with that kind of concept because I think God's love is so important and so crucial to understand. Uh, Romans 5 says that God pours out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And something happens when we encounter the love of God because what it does is not only leaves us warm and fuzzy, but it actually gets into the very place of our loves and our worship and what we desire. It gets aligned back to its appropriate place. And I think I've said before, St. Augustine wrote, uh, our hearts are restless until our heart is found in you. And there's something about our desires and our longings and our loves and our wants being so restless in this world that when we come into the presence of God and we encounter His love, it's actually His love that goes so much deeper than just our intellect and transforms us to realign our worship and our love back to its appropriate place because it's in that place we actually find rest. And even the Apostle Paul writes that it's Christ's love compels us It controls us to go about what God has called us into. That it's actually the love of God that moves us toward what God has for us. And it's not just this wishy-washy sentiment. I think it's a a powerful thing that comes and changes our very desires. So I wish we could talk more about that today, but I'll leave that there. And I had a a brother in the audience just come and whisper on my ear. He just felt to encourage in line with that just for those who are older, particularly older men in this room, just for whatever it means to you to remind you, older men, that God still loves you. And God's desire is actually for you. And God wants to come into whatever age you're in to change just that, that restlessness to help you find peace even in your old age. So I just want to thank my brother for that encouragement. And I just wanted to share that with you, particularly our older men, just be encouraged today. Uh, it was about two years ago, we're changing trajectory here, we're getting into it now, so about two years ago out in Bonacord, we, are, we were running a youth program, um, so what we began to do was to minister to our young people, we were in the school and we started connecting with kids in the local school and uh, we just believed like, sort of ha- how is it that we can be a living witness to our community in the community as the church, embodying Christ in His love and who He is uh, and, and, and be intentional about understanding that journey. So we began in the school, and following the school, we began to uh, have the youth come to the drop-in center at our church building every Wednesday, and uh, we spent lots of time with those young people. Wednesday night, we had Youth Alpha, and that was the chance to introduce them to Jesus and put names to what they were seeing lived out and to have their own encounter with the love of God, followed by some uh, other activities. So we had a very intentional process. And so we began to meet these kids and in Bonacord, it's a town of 1,500 people, and there's not a lot to do in Bonacord. I think the local library is the hot spot of town, and uh, that says a lot when the library is pumping. And so there wasn't much to do. So what we wanted to do was just provide a space where we could just show what the kingdom of God looked like. So these kids would come. And uh, so one of these young men that we met in the school, I got to know him a little bit because I went to a school program one day. I was invited by the principal to come and, and be a part of a program where there was uh, young people at risk or having a troubled time were to bring a significant person in their life to this uh, sort of this conference. And I got invited to come and be a fill-in. So I got to hang out with this young kid uh, who didn't really have anyone significant in his life. And I got to spend time with him. But I met another young man. And I met him and his grandma, and I discovered that his story was that uh, his mum was a drug addict, 
and his father left, sort of digged out, and he was taken by social services by his, from his mother and placed in the care of his grandparents. So this is in Bonacord. And so he was going through quite a tough time with school and with his environment, and just life was difficult. So I met this young man. It was really cool. So he saw us at the lunchtime program we were running. So we started coming to our after-school drop-in at the church. So for a couple of weeks, we got to know him a little bit, heard his story. Uh, you know, he was trying to make sense of the world around him as a young man going through, you know, into teenage years and a mum and dad who have abandoned him and just living in a small town where there's not much to do. You know, life was pretty challenging. And uh, we're sitting there one day and we're doing an activity on the floor and uh, we were just chatting. And then he said, hey, Pastor Matty, he said, he didn't even look up. He just said, hey, Pastor Matty. I said, yeah, bud, what's up? And he said, why do you guys have a sword on your wall? And I was like, oh, what do you mean, young fella? And he, he didn't, without looking, just pointed to the big wooden cross at the end of our church building. And I chuckled because it was hilarious. But it's also sad. There was two sides to that story that it was quite a, a funny moment where I was just like, what do you say? I was just like, oh, that's the cross of Jesus, buddy. And he's like, what? He had no concept. So I had this moment where I had to step back and re-engage the gospel narrative in some way to help him make sense of why there is a wooden sword on our wall. So I was able to explain to him a little bit about Jesus, and then in that moment, I also got to explain to him, you know, that he had died and why he died, and, and then he just, he answered me and just said, that was really mean that they did that. I was like, yeah, right on, buddy. It was really mean. And we prayed together, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that this young man really entered into a kingdom story, and it's beautiful. But the moment there was just, it was almost a tragic moment, because the fact that this kid had no grid, like, guys, listen to this, zero grid, or zero context for the Christian narrative, let alone a symbol, the cross, what that even would mean to this young man. And so I was left a little bit shaken by that, and thinking... We can no longer assume that there's a generation around us that understand the cross, and really by just simply putting on a better performance or a better program is enough to re-engage the Christian narrative in their context to bring them to God. Whilst having programs and events are good, and having good services are wonderful, I don't think we can assume anymore that there is a context out there where at least the Christian story is somewhat known and maybe there's a call to bring people home, we have to realize that there's zero context for the Christian story now in our young people. And this was a, this was a, a, a demonstration of this young man who is living from a story, living from an upbringing, a story that is being shaped and formed in him so deeply of abandonment, of what is life even about. I am not loved. I live with my grandma. My mum's a drug addict. Social services took me away. And he is navigating the perils of life without any foundational grid for what God's story is about and the redemption and the hope that we find in the Christian story. I think it's been said that all of us live from a story, a set of beliefs and assumptions, ideas, attitudes, whatever you want to name it. It's been shaped and formed into us by our experiences, by the messages we've believed, by your family, your culture. The way you see reality in the world around you is limited by the way that you've been taught and shaped and what you have believed. And many things have gone into forming that reality. For this young man, he was only able to make choices about life 
within the story he was living. Does that make sense? His choices and his ability to respond to the world around him was limited by the story he believed and by the story he was living from. The gospel is the good news of God's saving work through Jesus on the cross in which all of life begins to make sense in which our longings and the desires of our heart is directed in the appropriate way and we find peace and reconciliation. What was lost in the Garden of Eden, that intimacy with God was restored through Christ and we discover hope and peace. For this young man, the question wasn't about coming back to a faith. He had no idea of the gospel story at all. But here he was in the presence of a people who were living the witness of Christ that demonstrated to him another story. And it gave him cause to begin to ask the question about who are you and what does that symbol mean? And it was into that space that he was able to encounter the love of God and be introduced to the King of Kings. C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The Christian story gives us eyes to see and understand the world around us, but without it, we live from a story that has been shaped and formed into us, and our view becomes so limited, and there are so many people who are living in hopelessness. So in the next two months or so, on our way toward Easter, we want to begin to explore what it means to live a life shaped by the cross to embody and live out the reality of the gospel in our lives as to be a witness to the world. And today I'm introducing that series as we begin to realize the reality of the cross and how it invites us into a new life story. Can we pray? Father, we thank you so much for the time today and we're just reminded of your amazing love and just remember the words of that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It truly did save a wretch like me. And Lord, I thank you for that, that we were once blind, but now we see. Lord, we thank you that you have shown us uh, the way to life and the way to everlasting life. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name, amen. I know I've shared a little bit of my testimony before in the past, but I just wanted to start by just sharing a little bit about kind of my background, because I think this whole idea of story will begin to make sense, and I wanted to just share a little bit this morning. I was 20 years old when I finished my plumbing apprenticeship at Cadbury Schweppes. I know I've shared that with you before, the chocolate factory. Who likes Cadbury chocolate? Anyone here? It's kind of more of a British thing. I don't know, North America has like um, Hershey's and Nestle, I think they're the big brands, but Cadbury's was the, that's, that's the chocolate, man. And so I, uh, I got an apprenticeship. I left school at 16. I hated school, didn't like it. I left my year 11 exams. I looked at the, my exam and said, see you later, I'm out of here. And I went and got a plumbing apprenticeship and I did my apprenticeship and at 20, I was qualified and was working. Um, but I, I realized that I had an amazing job, but I began to really find that the story I was living from was leading to a life that wasn't fulfilled. Um, and so I actually decided after finishing my apprenticeship to resign my well-paid job and, uh, and because God began to stir in my spirit and there were some stir circumstances around there. Because what had happened just before resigning, I had been dating this girl for two years and she all of a sudden wanted to do this Christian thing. And I was like, okay. And she was trying to get me to go to church. I hated the idea of it, but I ended up going to church one night to this big mega church like Planet Shakers. Anyone heard of Planet Shakers before? It's kind of like if you've heard of Hillsong, 
This is the Melbourne version, and it's, it's like young, adulty, youthy, like big, big band. And uh, she brought me in, and I instantly didn't like it. So you're going to get some of my biases and attitudes, and I'm not picking on the church. Please don't hear that. This is just where I was at. So I came in, and uh, everyone just smelt good, and they looked good. Everyone was good looking. Even the old people, in the, everyone was good looking. And they all dressed well. They smelt well. Everything was good. And I was just like, this place sucks. And we went and sat in this, like, the back corner. Like, at, you know, when you go watch the Oilers and you're right up the top in the back. I went right to the back and sat there with my arms folded. Just looked at all the well-dressed, pretty people. It smelt good. And they had this loud music. And then the preacher gets up and I didn't have a clue what he said. He just talked and talked and talked. Now I'm that guy. And uh, I remember sitting there, and uh, it came to the end of the night, and uh, i got to tell you, this is so random, because I was sitting there, and the altar call, you know, the little altar call at the end, and he's, you know, every eye closed, and every head bowed, and you know, I closed my eyes, and I'm kind of like peeking, looking around, you know, closed my eyes, the next thing I know, I opened my eyes, and my hand was up. I'm like, What? I'm not even kidding. I actually, I don't remember consciously like raising my hand or anything like that, but here I was just my hand up looking and the girl who was with me, she was like peeking through her fingers looking at me. My hand was up and I had this moment and it wasn't this crazy bizarre moment other than the fact that I had my hand up because I didn't want to go down the front. I didn't want to get prayed for, but something happened and I don't know what it was. But it was, God began, was stirring in my heart because I was living from a story that didn't make sense. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit moved upon my heart. So we left the church and it was just silence. And I was walking out and this, this girl said to me, do you know what you just did? I said, I think I just became a Christian. <laughs> and I think I've told the story here before. Um, this was just before I resigned from my job. I called my boss Sunday night and he's this Scottish guy, hardcore Scottish plumber. And I said, hey, Mick, He's, I can't do the Scottish accent, but he was like, what's up? And I was like, mate, I, I can't come to work tomorrow. <laughs> He's like, are you all right? And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'd just become a Christian. I, I was traumatized. I didn't even know what that meant. I called in sick. And if you know, you know, a Scottish plumber, he didn't want you calling in sick, but he thought I was in trouble. And I ended up going and buying a Bible the next day and reading it. And just, I had this moment, this crazy encounter with God, which was just so profound. But I was living in a house with some mates of mine who were certainly not Christians and uh, just felt like a dark place. And I, I was trying to understand what had happened, but God was clearly beginning to speak to me. And uh, it was amazing what God was doing. I had no idea about the transaction I made, but how many of you know God does? I didn't know, but God certainly knew the transaction that had just happened and what he was about to do in my life. So life happened around me. I quit my job and I thought, man, I just need to like just take some time to chill out. I took my vacation pay. I went and lived with my mum and dad, and I was just hanging out, just thinking, what do I do? And then I get a call from my best mate, and he says, Matty. I was like, what's up, mate? And he goes, do you want to come to a free trip to Central Australia? I was like, yeah, I do. Like, that sounds awesome. I was like, when do we leave? He says, tomorrow. And I was like, well, I've just resigned my job. I've got time to do this. Let's do it, buddy. And so um, I had no idea what this trip was. I had no idea why he was calling me about this. All I knew is I had time, I had money, and I had some Jack Daniels. So I brought the Jack Daniels, put it in my bag, packed enough for 10 days to go on this trip, 
And uh, I stayed the night at my mate's house. We get ready to roll the next morning. We show up to this thing, and there was a bunch of 14-year-old kids running around. And it was at a church. It was a Christian youth camp. So I show up at this Christian youth camp, and I looked at my mate and said, what is this? So what I didn't know was there's a Christian organization called Fusion, who I ended up serving many, many years with. But this Christian organization, Fusion, work with at-risk young people all around Australia. And every year at Easter, they gather all these young people, they pay for a bus, chuck them on this bus, take, take a 10-day trip to Central Australia, learning about an indigenous culture, whilst also taking a pilgrimage through understanding who God is and getting away from their context and, and in a small group setting, learning about God and, and all this sort of stuff. And they pay for a bus and they try and fill it. If they can't fill it, they get on the phone and they start calling friends of friends of friends of friends of friends. And I was one of those friends of friends of friends of friends of friends. And so it was my mate. We just thought it was a free party bus, and we're going to Central Australia with our Jack Daniels, and we're going to have a good time. We show up, and there's 14-year-old kids there, and they're running around because mum and dad aren't there, and they're like, woo! They're running around, and I'm sitting there going, dude, I'm 21. I'm so mature and awesome. Like, what am I here for, you know? And so the lady gets up and starts saying, um, this was a drug and alcohol-free event, and I was just like, what? This is the worst nightmare. He's like, don't worry about it, man. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. So, okay. Well, we hop on these minivans, crammed in. This is all the youth pastors are having nightmares because you crammed in this minivan. We drive three or four hours to this in the middle of nowhere location. All the boys are put on the floor on rugs in this gymnasium, and all the girls went and stayed in these houses. By this time, it's midnight. It's the first night on this bizarre trip. I have no idea who it is and why I'm here. And we're laying on the floor. The lights are out. All the leaders are walking around saying, lights out, everyone go to bed, you know. And then, of course, that's the moment all the kids get up and start running around. <laughs> we're laying there. And I remember the moment when I got hit in the head and I felt the crumble of a choc chip cookie because the kids are up throwing all their snacks, woo, you know, running around. And I copped one in the head and I thought, this is the worst nightmare. So me and my buddy, we just thought we'd have a couple of JDs and we'll be fine. So we did. And I'm not celebrating that. I'm just telling you the story. I'm being honest here today. So we did. Next morning, we wake up thinking, you know what? This will be fine. We saw a big coach pull up. We thought, oh, that's Schmicko. We'll be all right. No worries. So we go out and uh, we're getting ready to go. I had my Discman. Remember Discmans? <laughs> 10 second shock. <laughs> had my Discman 10 second shock ready to roll. And uh, my Kurt Cobain Converse One Stars. And I was ready to roll. And uh, this. Leader comes around, he's got this pack of CDs, because you had to put all your CDs in a case, right? And that were mine. I'd left them in the, ho in the gym. So he's walking around saying, uh, whose CDs are these? And I was like, they're mine. And he says, all right, come here. Because we left all our empty Jack Daniel cans there too. <laughs> so we got busted. And comes over and he's just like, listen, man, you're 20 years old and we just busted you drinking on the first night. Like, clearly this is not for you. I was like, fantastic, where's the taxi? Get me home. Like, I had a bad attitude, you know. And uh, the challenge was my mate, who I told you about, his dad was on the trip. His dad was oblivious. He's walking around taking photos of everything, and we're getting busted drinking on the first night. And I felt a little ashamed, actually. I didn't want to be that guy kicked off, and he was so, you know, shamed father. So this youth leader just said, look, we would, we would kick you away. Like, we've told you, we've given you warning. And, but they had this little meeting, and then they came back and said, listen, you guys are older. Would you take responsibility for some of the kids? who are younger and just engage with this trip. And I said, you know what, sure. I actually didn't want to go. I wanted to go home. I was done. This was the randomest experience I've ever had. I wanted to get out of there. 
But because my mate's dad was there and I actually saw him taking photos and I thought, yeah, we don't want to embarrass him. Let's stick it out. So we get put in this small group. We go on this coach and we end up having this amazing 10-day experience because I was in this environment where there was just Christians who were just loving on young people, who would live in faith, who were wrestling with faith. And at the same time, I began to get confronted because we were looking at indigenous culture. I started getting confronted with my own prejudices and racism. And I just started freaking out. And then I I remember we got to Central Australia and this fusion organization had spent many years building trust with the local Mutajulu tribe who are a very closed off community but have allowed fusion to come in and we put on this open crowd festival and we start having this fun with these uh, young people. And so we do this festival and this is my first experience of this. And I remember standing there thinking, this is so awkward, looking at everyone running around playing. And then I would say that this was the moment of my salvation. There's a photo I wanted to show of, um, there's me on, the, on this side here with my mate Rowan. This is me at 20 years old, and I would say that this was my moment of conversion. While I had put my hand up in church, I had no idea what was going on. Um, God was already doing a work, and it was at this point that I realized that I was living from a story that was shaped by my prejudices, my assumptions, my beliefs that I hadn't even tested those things in my story. And I came up against that, and Jesus was inviting me into a new story. And it happened because these two indigenous kids uh, came up and tugged our, tugged our pants and said, hey, can you give us a shoulder ride? And I was just like, oh, yeah, no worries. Picked up this little kid, put him on my shoulders, and it was probably the most free I'd ever been. And so that little smiling, happy 20-year-old there was set free because I came into a brand new story that was no longer the old and it was the new. This was in March 2005, and I was ordering my life around a set of ideas and assumptions, and I saw that story as truth, but then I met Jesus and I encountered the cross. This is what I want to briefly chat about today as we launch into this series, because this is what happens. When you are living from a place that influences your vision of life, and you encounter a radically different way of living, I saw this in a group of Christians that lived out the kingdom. My life encountered the cross, and when that happened, I was being asked to nail to the cross the old life and be born again into a resurrected new life. It was an unknown life. That moment, I had no idea that I was going to be propelled forward into a completely new journey that would look like even being here with you today. It led to a discipleship journey shaped by the cross. Whatever I did didn't matter as long as it was for Jesus. From casework in a housing service to overseas missions to working in a local church and now being part of the Father's house in Bonacord, pastoring, my life is radically different now than it was then. And I'm sure if we took the time today, each and every one of us could bear witness to the way that God has changed our life as well. I'm going to share you, tell, tell you a few things why. The Bible tells us some pretty incredible things. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you've heard me preach before, you know that these are life verses for me and very important. If anyone is in Christ... Why don't you read it with me, church? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. None of you read that in an Australian accent. I'm disappointed. (laughs) Okay, we'll leave it at that then. The Bible tells us why, because when you come into Christ, you are a brand new creation. How many of you know that? 
The old is gone. The new has come. If you're in Christ, you're a brand new creation, which means the old is gone and the new has come. My good friend Matt Garvin wrote a book called Six Radical Decisions, and he says this, the Greek word for new creation is katissus. The word more literally means a blueprint and not a finished product. What Paul is actually saying is something like, if you have invited Jesus to come in as Lord of your life, you've commenced a project with him to build your life. He has the plans, so make sure you stay in touch with the architect. What he's saying is, this idea of being a brand new creation means the foundation is Christ and he puts a blueprint on it. And that blueprint is unique to each and every individual. God says, now it's time to come. Let's build the story of your life here through you on this blueprint. See, God sees the end product. You don't. You just see a blueprint and you start out as a baby Christian. But when you are in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creation. You start with a brand new foundation, which is Jesus, not the old story. See, the old story no longer needs to dictate your life. It's like a script. The thing that you've just lived from and you've never tested it or checked it, it it orders your life for you. All of a sudden, that gets nailed to the cross and Jesus says, here's a new thing. We're going to build a brand new story. You don't see the end picture. But he's got a blueprint and a design for your life. Secondly, Ephesians 2.10 says this, you are God's handiwork. You've been created in Christ Jesus to do what? good works. He's prepared them in advance for you to do. Not only are you brand new with a blueprint in which Jesus wants to build the story of your life that is no longer dictated by the script, the old stuff. It's a new narrative that he's working with you to build the temple of the living God through you to be a light to the world. Not only that, he says, I've also got some really good things for you to do. And I've prepared them for you to go and do. That tells me that each and every believer on earth has a mission, a call, a story to live out because God is so good and faithful that he's prepared things for you to walk in. We start being built up into a living temple, the very presence of God, as we walk out our new creation story. And his kingdom is one in which he is the king. The question for each and every one of us isn't the question if Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus is already Lord and king of a kingdom. That's established. Jesus is the king of a kingdom. He is already the Lord. The question for the Christian then becomes, is he the Lord of your life? Is he the king of your story? Is he the orchestrator and the architect of how you're building your life? Or isn't he? How many of you know that those of us who make Jesus the king of our life realize that it isn't just that moment in church where you put your hand up or saying the right words in the right order with a four-point spiritual law prayer and then you're good and we just wait around until we get to heaven. There's actually more to this that God is so good and so faithful that he says, yes, and now look what I get to get you to do. I've got good works for you to do. I've got things for you to go and do. We're new creations. We are masterpieces. And it's more than just saying the right words, but it's us saying, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Be the king of my life. Mold me, 
shape me, make me into your image so that my whole life bears witness, that I would embody the fullness of who you are as a living witness to the world like this young man who had no idea about who Jesus was. The new creation life is evident, I think, in the first disciples being called to follow Jesus because the truth is the disciples were living from a story too. They had a picture of who God was, what Messiah would do, and they were living from that. Who's going to be the greatest? When Jesus comes and we get to kick out those dirty Romans, we're going to have our own throne. Hey, mom, can you go ask Jesus if, who, if we can be the best? Jesus, you know, excuse me, can my sons have a really good seat in this new kingdom? They didn't have a clue what Jesus was on about because they were living from a picture of God and what the kingdom was going to look like. And then Jesus dies and they're gone. Oh. <laughs> Talk about disillusionment. How many of you know that when Jesus comes up against the story you've been living from and he, he, he challenges that story, that you might face moments of disillusionment in your faith? Because as Jesus begins to test the things that you live from as though they're true, that aren't in line with his lordship, that can challenge us a little bit, can't it? And this is, we're in good company because the disciples have this moment where they've been following Jesus, thinking something was going to happen, and then they're totally left disillusioned. But this is where I want to encourage us today because this is a cool story. And hopefully this will set us up for this series. And I'll tell you this story. After Jesus had died and appeared to Mary, the disciples hunkered down somewhere. Do you remember the story? Because I think I've shared it here before in John. So the boys are thinking, Jesus is dead. We're in trouble. Because what just happened to him is going to happen to us. We've clearly lost the race. We've lost the game. We've bet money on the wrong horse, yada, yada. And they go to this place and they lock the doors. They shut the blinds and they gather together and they're freaked out. Their hopes for political transformation had failed. What they put their faith in seemingly had lost. So on the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It's always so bizarre. You know when you read it? You just imagine. No, it's not. He just shows up and he speaks peace. And after this, he shows them the hands and the side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the best story. Because these guys were so disillusioned. They had been living from a story, and all of a sudden that failed. But Jesus knew all along what he was doing. And so they do what's natural. They respond with fear. They hunker in a room and they're sitting there saying, what do we do? And Jesus shows up. And not only does he show up, they look at him and he speaks peace. And then he shows them the victory that he won on the cross, didn't he? He says, here's my hands, here's my side, peace be with you. And the disciples see this and they rejoice. Jesus appears to the room, they're no longer exiles, they're no longer separated from God because Jesus has just shown them that he has defeated the power of sin and death on the cross and they encounter his love and the whole room changes from fear to joy, doesn't it? It says they move from fear to being overjoyed. Jesus' victory on the cross accomplished all the work of the law and the sacrifice 
and in him we become open to a relationship with God. And this is what I think they realized because they had been understanding the kingdom from a place and then Jesus shows up, shows them that he had conquered the very thing that keeps them separated from God, sin and death, and he shows up as a resurrected God and says, here's my hand inside, I've won the victory, you're okay. And not only that, I think they finally realized that they were no longer exiles from God. They had been restored. They had been returned. This moment wasn't just about getting to some place after we died. This wasn't just about getting to heaven when we die. This moment of encounter with Jesus was right now, Jesus comes and brings peace into the midst of the the story, into the midst of the world, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of all that's going on. Jesus comes and shows that he's conquered that on the cross, comes into that environment and brings peace. And not only that, we see this and Jesus breathes on them. The Bible tells us that you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. Jesus had just told them that he was going to prepare a place for them in the Father's house which isn't a picture of going to heaven. That was a picture of the accomplishment of the temple work in Christ, which means in Christ you find a place. That's the meaning of that text. It's not just that we receive Jesus and sit around until we get to to heaven. It's actually Jesus says, I've done the work of the temple. It is finished. Hebrews says that the curtain was made in the flesh, that Jesus was the doorway to the presence of God. He was the flesh, the curtain that was torn on the cross, which gives us access. And the disciples finally saw what the kingdom was all about, that the cross represented a return from the exile. God with them. And all of what Jesus said made sense, that he went to the cross to prepare a place for them in the temple of God. That they would be a new Jerusalem, a living temple built up that reflects the presence, the glory of God as a reflection to this world. And then Jesus does something cool. He breathes on them. And I always laugh and I've shared it here before, but he's been dead three days and... (sighs) Gross. But it's very meaningful Because this is what Jesus is doing, is he's rehumanizing them. For what was lost in the garden, who they were created to be, who we were created to be, was destroyed by sin. Now Jesus comes and destroys sin's power and its grip and establishes us in him, restoring what was lost in the cross, and then he breathes the breath, the pneuma, the spirit of God on his disciples. And we know this because the first time we see God breathe on man was in Genesis, and the Lord God formed man, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became alive. We see Jesus, who has accomplished the work of the temple and the cross, now looks at his disciples and says, here it is. And he breathes his resurrected life into his disciples. The very breath of God that makes mankind alive is breathed into the disciples. 
Because he's restored us through the power of his resurrection. He's defeated the power of sin and death. He's broken the bondage of slavery and delivers us, rehumanizes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's conquered the grave and he now makes us alive again for the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in you. This is it. This moment in the room where the disciples were so disillusioned in the story they were living from, Maddie Coppin living as this racist little punk comes into and encounters Jesus and Jesus says, boom, and he breathes new life because he has conquered the thing that divides us from God. It's done. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions. It's this wonderful new creation story we get invited into. His forgiveness means we're no longer exiles, we're no longer strangers, we're no longer foreigners of God, no longer living on the margins away from God, but we've been redeemed. So he breathes on them, life, Holy Spirit, and then he takes it to another level. He not only breathes on them and says, wait here, and when you die, I'll join you up there. There's more to the story. Yes, don't get me wrong, heaven's gonna be amazing. Praise God. I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm not knocking heaven. We could talk about that. But there's this moment where Jesus says, I'm going to breathe my presence, the Holy Spirit, God with you, because there's no barriers anymore. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to breathe on you. And then I say, as I was sent, what does he say? Wow, there's a commissioning. Where was Jesus sent? He was sent to earth to walk his cross-shaped life Every day, toward the cross, Jesus was called to live a cross-shaped life. Jesus breathes his power, breathes his presence, his spirit. There's no longer any barriers. The cross work, the temple work is accomplished in him. And now he breathes and he says, now guys, it's time to get out of the room and it's time to get going. Because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus and you're a masterpiece with good things to go and do. You are called into a story. You are called into a cross-shaped life that is a, a picture of the work of Jesus. The revelation led to ascending. The, see, the danger is, church, if I can touch on this, is often me, my ego, wants to stay comfortable in the room with Jesus comfortable from the world and the troubles around me. I want to stay in that place and I want to stay in that moment. But I, don't, I maybe hear a word that maybe will preach to me to tell me that God will change my circumstances and life will be a little easier for me. But Jesus looks at his followers and just says, as I was sent, now I'm sending you. See, when we encounter God's love, it's like the Apostle Paul says, it compels us. See, when you encounter God's love, all you want to do is get out of the room and get out there because God's love is controlling you and moving you because all you want to do is tell the world that Jesus lives. All you want to do is make your whole life reflect the wonderful newness of God's life in you. And it becomes so much more than going to church on Sunday becomes so much more than sitting in the room. It's this, you get to go and bear witness to the power of God's transformation in your life. So he sends his boys and girls 
At this point, it was just the boys, but yes, he does send his girls for sure. He sends us all. For the Bible says there's neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, for all are one in Christ. We begin part of this living temple that we get to go and bear witness. And Jesus knew who he came from. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He had a secure identity, and as we find ourselves in Christ, we get secure to go and do the work he's called us to do. I think part of stepping out with Jesus is stepping into a cross-shaped life. Our new creation story is an invitation to go and walk in the good things God has prepared for us to do, which suggests to me that you're actually invited into a mission with God and his people. Finish with one more scripture. And it follows uh, Galatians, just talks about each one of us should carry our own load. The purpose of the church is actually to help each and every one of us mature into who God's called us to be. What Ephesians says, it's the task of the pastors, the preachers, the teachers, the prophets, evangelists, is to equip the saints for works of service so we mature together into Christ. And the purpose of the church is to help each and every one of us live from that new creation story, and we can't rescue people from their story because there is actually a load that each and every one of us are called to carry. It's not a heavy load all the time because Galatians also says that share the burden with one another, but that each and every one of us are called to carry a part of the story. We're all called to carry a load. And sometimes we come to church and we expect that we'll be comforted in our old story or have reinforced to us our already held to assumptions and beliefs And the truth is, as pastors, sometimes we find it hard not to rescue people from the hard things they're facing because we want to believe that life will always be easy and without troubles. But the truth is you're called into a mission and a life with God, and for each and every one of us, it looks different. And some of it's hard for some of us, and some of it's not as hard because I'll finish with this story, and I think this is where I want to land today. Is This is what happened to Peter. Peter denied Christ and... Jesus, remember, he goes fishing again. He goes back to his old identity. He's fishing in the water and waiting around and sees Jesus on the shore, comes running over. Jesus restores him by telling him purpose, go feed my sheep, do you love me? Has this interaction. But then he says something really interesting. Jesus looks at Peter and says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, this is from John 21, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. This is is Peter standing face to face with God. And God looking at him saying, Peter, it's not going to be so simple for you, mate. Because the cross-shaped life for you will actually mean death. It's not an easy thing to preach, that one. But this is God looking at Peter saying, Peter, this is what the cross-shaped looks like for you. You want to know what Peter did? The Bible says Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And he said to Peter, follow me. And so Peter, I love Peter, straight away looks at the apostle John and says, well, what about him? (laughs) By the way, that's who they're talking about there. That's John, the one who Jesus loved. Peter gets, Jesus, you know, looks at Peter. After Peter had just denied him and was like, yeah, I love you, Jesus, you know. And then Jesus is like, this is what life's going to look like for you. And then he says, but what about John? Straight away, his response was to measure the invitation that God had for him against someone else. And Jesus, I can just imagine Peter, Peter, Peter. He grabs his face and just turns it back. Look at me, Peter. Come on, look at me. And he says, Peter, 
If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Peter, you must follow me. Because of the rumor of this spread around the believers that the disciple wouldn't die. Now, we know that's not true. We know that John's brother James was the first to die, actually, when he was set free from prison. John did live the longest of all the apostles. Peter, according to tradition, was martyred for his faith upside down on the cross. It wasn't easy for those little band of followers, but the point is this. I think that when Jesus comes and invites us into a new creation life, the challenge for us is it's so unknown. And I think we like control. We like to know and be in charge of what that looks like. See, the old story is somewhat safe to us because at least we have a sense of our identity, even if it's not the right identity. And it's so easy to go back to that stuff, but here's where faith and trust and all these wonderful things kick in. Because the promise of God is that when you come into Christ, it's not just about getting heaven when you die, it's about living the life He has for you here along with that. That God has prepared things for you to go and do, and the cross-shaped life is learning to order your life around God, Jesus being the king of your life. Which means you putting it on the table and saying, Jesus, here's all of my life. And it's more than just being in a room with you, but it's actually all of who I am, all of my decisions, all of my life is on the table because I want you to be the Lord and the king of my life. For you are already the king of a kingdom. And I've stepped into the kingdom story. Now I want to release that and trust you. And that's what the cross-shaped life is all about, is the invitation for us to step fully into our new creation story here, becoming the masterpiece that God has called you to be, bearing witness through your life, embodying the reality of Christ's love and, 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 and being reflecting that, for it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory to a world that is living from a story and does not know. And so the call is to us as Christians is to just begin to get a little unsettled as we engage in this series, to begin to allow God to lead and guide us as we begin to actually say, what does it mean to live the life shaped by the cross? It's not a painful life and a drudgery. It's just a life where you let go of control and God becomes the king of your life. And then he begins to build bit by bit on that blueprint. And then as Peter built his life on Jesus, and as John built his life on Jesus, you zoom out and you see the kingdom. You see the temple, the living temple, the new creation story. So as you walk in your new creation story with the power of the Holy Spirit, God with you, trusting, loving, carrying what God has called you to carry with Him, all of a sudden, we build this beautiful story that becomes a song that we carry the words to a generation that doesn't know the words, that doesn't know the tune to the song. It doesn't know. And so this is the journey we're going to go on over the next few weeks. So why don't we pray together right now? And, uh, we'll just take a minute to just prepare our hearts as we enter into this series and this season and just get ready. It's going to be good. God's got good things for you and He does love you and He wants to change those desires, change your heart and see you walk 
in that new creation story that he has prepared for you. But it's going to require trust and, and letting go of control, which is probably the hardest part of it all, I think. So my invitation today is not saying what will it fully look like, but if there's a part of you that resonates with saying, God, I, I, there's a, I do in the depth of who I am, deeper than my intellect and my mind, but in that core place, there's a part of me today that says, yes, God, I, I want to step into that and release more control and let you be the Lord of my life. And I'm not just talking about the prayer. I'm talking about saying yes and entering in to letting God be king of your life. If that's you, just hold out your hands and as a sign of just wanting to receive from God today and we'll pray together and just say, yes, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your work in our hearts today. We thank you for the word in Romans 5 that says, God, you've poured out your love into our heart through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you said, receive the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you are with us. You are present to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way that the cross symbolizes that the past is over and the new is here. That as far as the east is from the west, you have removed our transgressions from us. That the work of the priest is done. That you sat down at the right hand of the Father, which is a picture of the, the work being accomplished. There is no more sacrifice, no more striving. It is done. And because of that, God, we get to enter into a new way a new and living way, which is Jesus. So Lord, we just pray for your grace to us as we learn more about what it is that you're asking each and every one of us to step more fully into. For some of us, it's going to be radical. It's going to be so radical, God, that we can't even imagine what that's going to look like. It's going to be like me moving to another country to be a pastor. Lord, for some, it's going to be all kinds of different things that God are going to but help us to not compare to one another, but to be what you said to Peter, follow me, that we would learn to trust a good God and that you are with us always. So Lord, be with us and encourage us even this week into who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.